0: Welcome to Question Block, Secret Loft's educational historical podcast. And we are coming to you on location this week from Hawaii. So I am Wires of NYC, or Alex. I'm Arielist. And for those of you just listening, I've got my Aloha shirt on. Uh, Ariel, what do you have going on?
1: I have the Golden Girls shirt and some flowers in my hair because the Golden Girls love Elanai, which is one of the Hawaiian islands. So,
0: Although as we'll learn, the, the island name is pronounced Lana'i.
1: That's how the Golden Girl should have been pronouncing it.
0: <laughs> so let's get right into it. We're in Hawaii because my mom lives here. You're Hawaiian. I am not. I wasn't even born in Hawaii, but people born in Hawaii who are not descendants of the Hawaiians are referred to as locals. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the islands. Ready? Okay. Hawaii is an island chain in the South Pacific, it's over an active volcanic hotspot. There's an active volcano in the Big Island. There's eight main islands, seven of which are inhabited. Let's run down through the islands real quick. I've got a quick summary. So the island chain itself, 65 million years old. The newest island, Big Island. It has 63% of the entire archipelago's landmass, but only 13% of the people. It's a real big island. It's got active volcanoes. You and I have been around it.
1: And it it's was, where we are now. Yes, and it was
0: the birthplace of the first king of Hawaii, who united Hawaii, King Kamehameha. Okay, jump to Maui, the Valley Isle. Maui has a population of about 140,000. It's got a super cool inactive volcano, Mount Haleakala, which has an awesome sunrise and sunset. Very popular tourist destination. The road to Hana, it's this road you drive where you see 15 different waterfalls as you drive. Wow. Road. Sick road. Oahu known as The Gathering Place. Oahu's where the capital is. The capital is the city of Honolulu. That's where Waikiki Beach is, the famous cool beach with white sands. That's where the North Shore is, where all the surfing big wave videos are filmed.
1: Pearl Harbor.
0: Pearl Harbor is there, the U.S. naval base. When you see Hawaii on TV, it's filmed in Oahu generally. Hawaii Five-O, Magnum P.I., and Gilligan's Island were all filmed on Oahu. So that's probably like the most cultural impact of the Hawaiian Islands. And we'll quickly go through the remaining ones. There's Kauaii. The garden isle, the cute, the cute island. Lots of nature. The Kauai King held out the longest against Kamehameha when he was uniting all the islands. Mark Zuckerberg has a house there. Did you ever see the photo of Mark Zuckerberg with his face completely slathered in zinc oxide?
1: You mean every photo of him?
0: <laughs> he He's very uncomfortably riding like a robotic surfboard. That was taken in Kauai. There's Molokai, the friendly isle. They just do a lot of like pineapple and sugarcane production. And there was a leper colony there from 1866 to 1969. Kind of nice place for the lepers to hang out, I think. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> the colony. Lanai, or as you pronounce it, Lanai, the pineapple isle. They grow a lot of pineapples. There's one small town called Lanai City. 98% of the island is owned by Larry Ellison, the founder and chairman of Oracle. And the re- remaining 2% is owned by Hawaiians. There are no traffic lights on the island. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yikes. <laughs> uh, yeah, we
0: get the, these lesser known islands have like weird stories. Like Ni is the Forbidden Isle. So it was purchased by, I guess she was a Larry Ellison of her time. Elizabeth Sinclair purchased it in 1864 from the Kingdom of Hawaii for $10,000. And she passed it on to her descendants, the Robinsons. And no one can go there unless you're personally invited by the Robinson family. The last island is Kaho Olawe, which is the target isle. It has no source of fresh water, So during World War II in the following decades,
1: they were an easy target.
0: Yeah, the U.S. Navy used it for live fire training exercises. So don't go there because there's still like unexploded shells and ordnance on that island. So that's your your quick rundown of the islands. The interesting ones from, I guess, a cultural population standpoint that we'll mostly be talking about are the Big Island and Oahu, Maui, and Kauai. So let's talk about the ancient history. So we learned from some other podcasts and during our research that traditionally they thought Polynesians in longboard paddle boats came to the Hawaiian Islands in about 300 A.D., it turns out that's recently been found to be incorrect. So now they have more accurate radiocarbon dating, so they think people didn't start settling the Hawaiian islands until about 1000 AD. So there were two main waves of migration, so from P- Polynesian islands and then from Tahiti. Originally it was settled like island by island, and then just kind of steady growth throughout the history.
1: They used the stars, right? The, poly- the Polynesians. Polynesians didn't were, have maps.
0: They were awesome sailors. Hawaii is close to 2,000 miles from any other inhabited uh, area, so it is regarded as the most isolated population center in the world. So the Polynesians were very good sailors. Hawaiian wasn't a written language until after the missionaries got here in the 1800s, so no written records, kind of hard for historians to figure out exactly what happened and who the kings were and everything else. It was passed down through legends and storytelling. Where the, the recorded history picks up is with the unification of the islands, so... The end of ancient Hawaiian culture to the Hawaiian kingdom.
1: The reign of the Kamehamehas.
0: King Kamehameha.
1: What about the the ancient like codes?
0: The ancient Hawaiian code of Kapu.
1: We're violating it right now.
0: Yes. So it was a a heavily caste based society. So it's been compared to like ancient India.
1: Also, men and women like weren't allowed to do pretty much anything together. And I forget yeah. which Kamehameha broke.
0: Kamehameha II ended Kapu...
1: Because he had he had tea with a woman.
0: ...by eating in public with a woman. Gag. Uh, under the influence of a bunch of Christian missionaries. This is one of the few times... Double gag. The Christian missionaries were the liberal ones who modernized and made them more tolerant. Yeah, the offense for violating Kapu was death. Like, universally.
1: I mean, the Christian missionaries actually, like, screwed up. Let's not... Yeah, they oh, no, screwed no, a lot to, of their stuff. Not to
0: romanticize them. Took away cool, their language. A cool thing they did was develop a written Hawaiian language and ending kapu.
1: But they for they forbid the language of hula and pr- basically all the traditions. So oh, yeah. So they sucked.
0: There will be no heroes in this podcast, as with many of them. I want to tell you some of the really, the two main parts of kapu that I read about. So there was the kapu hili, which was a bunch of restrictions on how you could interact with the king or the chief. When entering a chief's personal area... You cannot come in contact with his hair or fingernail clippings. You may not look directly at him. You may not be in sight of him with your head higher than his. It's like if you're crawling around on the ground while you're near the chief.
1: I thought you said you may not be inside of him. In sight of him. <laughs> which is, that would have been amazing if as well. If the
0: chief sees you and you're not below him, it's, it's a, yeah, death. You cannot wear red and yellow feathers, which is a sign of royalty. And then there's the Aikapu, which is the, the kapu system governing contact between men and women. So it's worse than just that they couldn't eat together. Men were considered sacred and women were considered profane. So it just they forbid, got that right. <laughs> it forbid women from doing a bunch of stuff. So women could not eat pork. Women could not eat 67 of the 70 varieties of bananas. Women could not eat coconuts or touch them.
1: Sounds very like sexual to me. It's like <laughs> code for something.
0: They had like coconut rope. They out of the coconut fibers or coconut fronds, they would weave rope. Women weren't allowed to touch those ropes. Some large fish were also kapu for women to eat. There's a, an ethnobotanist who theorizes that the Hawaiians ate a lot of seaweed compared to other Polynesian cultures because there just wasn't other food for the women to eat. They were like forbidden from eating a bunch of the dietary stuff. So don't romanticize you know, kapu or how things were before the missionaries. Don't also romanticize the missionaries. One reason that the, the Kamehameha may have abolished kapu the second, King Kamehameha II... Can I the second? guess? What? Why?
1: Because he, he wanted to control women, too, better? You could If you can govern people under the same rule, it's
0: like... They think it's actually to get rid of any challengers, because it took power away from all the chiefs under him. Cool. So that it guaranteed that the Kamehamehas would be, and they were, kind of the only dynastic line in Hawaii. So how did Kamehameha come to power? So they don't know exactly when he was born. Again, no written records, so between... The 1830s and 1850s, they think maybe the year Halley's comet passed by, because that was seen as like a sign that he would unify all the islands.
1: Yeah, they got rid of they. He had to be adopted because I think his his father knew that he was born around the comet and was like, "Uh oh, this guy's gonna succeed me, so I will kill him." So they had to like hide him away and raise him by regular people
0: the guess is 1758 there's a bunch of different myths of like where he was born it's believed he was hidden in ypo valley on the big island there also is belief that he was raised by a chief in maui so it's not totally clear even what his origin is but i like the origin story that he was hidden from a vengeful father like Cronos and zeus anyway they do know that when he was younger he encountered captain cook when cook like first for like you know discovered the hawaiian islands as a european And then we know that he basically, he he unified the island of Hawaii. He killed uh, two of his cousins who were also vying for power on the island of Hawaii. So he unified the big island in part by uh, getting like, I think he like kidnapped slash coerced a couple British guys to become his advisors. There is this interesting story about the Metcalf family. This father and son, Simon Metcalf and his son, uh, Thomas Metcalf took two ships from England, and they were going to rendezvous in Hawaii, which was known as the Sandwich Islands because Captain Cook called it the Sandwich Islands. Older Metcalf, so he gets to the big island, to this harbor, he brings the chief on board. The chief does something that pisses off the captain, I don't know what, Uh, and so the captain has him flogged, and then later, the same captain in another port, and I know this happened to Captain Cook, too, uh, one of his boats gets stolen, so he fires on the, he, he then tells all the villagers to come out, he wants to trade, and fires cannons at them and kills like 100 some Hawaiians.
1: Beat and switch.
0: Yeah, so then his son meanwhile, so then he sails off, basically the father, and then his son later shows up to rendezvous with him. His son got held up on the trip, and the Hawaiian chief of that, his son pulls into port, and the Hawaiian chief of that village goes out to greet him and massacres everyone on the ship and kills the son. Yeah, ironically, the father was responsible for the death of his own son. Yeah, don't pick fights with the Hawaiian chieftains on islands in the middle of the Pacific. So one of uh, Metcalf's advisors, this guy uh, John Young, and this other guy Isaac Davis, were captured by Kamehameha and became his advisors. Not really clear if they wanted to, but probably better than getting speared.
1: So Kamehameha gets—how does he get control of all the islands? Through the through his friendship so, with these like British.
0: Well, some of the some of the people he had rivals with, like they contacted smallpox. Or before one battle, he was fighting another chief on the Big Island and Kilauea erupted and the poisonous That's gas amazing. killed a bunch of a bunch of the the rival chieftain soldiers the lucky breaks coupled with forging alliances with the British explorers so he Kamehameha quickly realized that guns would be very useful in these intertribal battles so did that, he
1: kill captain cook
0: he did not kill captain cook but
1: like did his friend or something yeah that was before okay.
0: Kamehameha was like a teenager when he met captain cook he was killed because one of his boats was stolen he tried to kidnap and they some accounts say he did kidnap and accidentally kill or purposely kill a local chief so that chief's people came and killed captain cook that's but what you get cook we talked about him on our explorers episode because was a great explorer in the the sense that he explored a ton of the south pacific right circumnavigated new zealand yeah.
1: he was a great explorer but he was Not a great person.
0: (laughs) But much like the Metcalfs, pissed off a Hawaiian chieftain and caught a spear. Cook is regarded with some ambivalence by modern day Hawaiians. So there is a sort of a plaque to him in the harbor down in the bay in Kona, which is the western side of the Big Island. So where Cook landed, they do commemorate that he was an explorer. Cook's initial interactions with the Hawaiians were pretty positive. And they think in part it might be because he arrived during a harvest festival and he looked, I guess, kind of like the god of harvest. This is sort of like Cortez, I think. So he he got lucky in the timing and got a nice reception. So he did manage, at least for, I think, the first like decade or so of his interactions with the Hawaiians to have peaceful interactions. So we talked about Kamehameha I, United the Islands. He was a very strong ruler. There is a, a big statue to him in the northern tip of the island, Kohala, it's called. Oh, and
1: June 1st, I believe, is Kamehameha Day.
0: He's regarded as a strong king. He was definitely kind of bloodthirsty, killed a lot of people, uh, but was a strong ruler. And to his credit, he then established a kingdom and kept, you know, despite their best efforts, kept the uh, colonial European powers and Americans from taking it over for a solid hundred years. So the Kingdom of Hawaii established 1810, lasted until, I think, 1896, 1897, Close to hundred years, what was their undoing?
1: Missionaries, basically. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of Christian missionaries and who, as we said, were taking away the Hawaiian culture and just slowly sort of weakening Hawaiian in- infrastructure.
0: Well, and another part is the, the missionaries came you know, with quote unquote good intentions, right? And disease, the, they also, the, Hawaiian, the disease, yeah. They brought a ton of disease. The disease is a very underrated aspect. It's not overlooked, but people don't realize how much the Hawaiians were affected by smallpox and the plague. So as soon as they start encountering Europeans, they, the Hawaiians start dying off in massive numbers. It's something like from first contact in like 1790 until like the late 1800s. So about a hundred year period of reign of Kamehamehas. They go from 800,000 native Hawai'is to about 40,000. So if 95% of your population dies, it's going to be easy to overthrow you and take power at some point. The missionaries are going to have a lot of sway, I guess. But then it was the children and grandchildren of the missionaries became businessmen. And there was a big land redistribution as well. The Great Mahele. Yeah, right, Hawaii united 1810. 1840, the constitution of the kingdom of Hawaii establishes constitutional monarchy. And in 1848, they do a land redistribution. So prior to 1848, there's no private land in Hawaii. It's all owned by the king. As part of these modernization, like reforms or whatever, under the influence of the missionaries and businessmen, they allow people to buy or have private land. You apply for like a grant from the king and you can get a ranch or a farm or whatever. And I guess also under the influence of the missionaries, they let Europeans apply for these grants. Suddenly you could become a very wealthy farmer with like a big ranch in Hawaii. The land redistribution was part of it. Suddenly there were all these farms getting set up. Sugar cane cultivation was like really popular. They also had, this is not related to the mahele, uh, but whaling was very popular. There's a ton of whales around Hawaii. Uh, and the whalers were absolutely awful. They kind of set up their own full villages of these like nasty kind of violent whalers. Um, and so like crime and theft and like rape and stuff of like, the Hawaiian natives was an issue. And the missionaries set themselves up as though they, they were gonna protect. And they, I think, did, because the missionaries were trying to stop the whalers who they saw as immoral. So they were like, well, we'll help you out, Hawaiians. Like, we'll, we'll establish this constitution. We'll help set up peacekeeping groups. We'll set up our own, like, you know, police force to help to protect the Hawaiians.
1: But something that did happen is because of these missionaries, there, be, there became a lot of white Hawaiians, which is going to, to come up later because it's like these people who they maybe like a native Hawaiian... Married and had children with with a white missionary, and then they have a son who can pass for hope for a native Hawaiian, but has the mindset of a, a white gentrifier. Sure, and and so this becomes really problematic.
0: Looking at the stats, it's a third of the land went to the the king, the Hawaiian crown lands. Another third was allocated among chiefs and I guess local like government managers. And then the remaining third went to the common people. The law required land claims to be filed within two years, so by 1850, and many Hawaiians didn't make any claim. Maybe if you didn't know this was going on, or you weren't literate, or you hadn't studied in one of the missionary schools, you didn't know how to file a claim.
1: Geico can help you I guess with that. So. <laughs> so, can we talk about Liliuokalani?
0: Yeah, tell me about her.
1: Okay, she was basically born into into a high class family, but there's a tradition that. Other higher-class families will just adopt you and raise you. So she was ha- kind of half raised by Native Hawaiians and then half by Christian missionaries. So she had a- the name Lydia. Later, her name changed to Lily Lily Ulukalani, which means the smarting of the royal ones. But she had a previous, like, birth name.
0: The smarting? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: which, <laughs> Yeah, but her previous birth name meant... Tearful, burning pains and sore eyes because a lot of her relatives died, and these were seen as omens. So that was like her original name, and then she got like a much better. Uh, Oh, she
0: had like a smallpox name. Yeah, Uh, she did smallpox. Shout shout out Petey's jokes on Instagram. Hey, we are in front of a volcano. Good question. We are. We are. uh, Yeah, my mom's backyard overlooks Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea, and I don't know how good the resolution is on the stream, but there's observatories on top of that volcano
1: and maybe they're looking at us stream. <laughs> they're stream. She she gets to the throne because um her brother the previous monarch dies without any heirs. And so she is the the first and last queen of Hawaii.
0: Yeah, cuz as we said, Hawaiians dying left and right.
1: Her brother had been forced and this was like the 1887 Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii. So she was this is the Bayonet Constitution. Yes. Right?
0: So why you had a bunch of constitutions? Because if you remember, I just said they had one in eighteen forty that established the the monarchy. So, yeah, so they she, get another one forty-seven years later.
1: She comes. She she like comes into office and she's like going through papers or whatever, and she's like, "What is this? What's this bayonet constitution? I didn't I didn't sign this." Um,
0: so why was it called the bayonet constitution?
1: Because everyone was forced to sign it with threat of a bayonet.
0: Yeah, under under threat of overthrowing the monarchy, they the uh, wealthy landowners, most of them white, uh, and the businessmen like the sugar magnates um, and the pineapple farm owners, uh, forced the king to sign this constitution. They gave up most of the the monarchy's power.
1: So Lily Ukulani, she she begins working to annul this, con- and she this constitution and she starts working on a new constitution and she's like, I'm totally going to be backed by like all my people in my cabinet. Uh, spoiler alert. Some of these people are like those shady, shady white Hawaiians that we talked about before. Yeah, a bunch before. of
0: the cabinet was business owners. Oh, to be one, one interesting point though, is that the new, con- the Bayonet constitution was, it was arguably a democratic reform, but because it set up like, that uh, sounds so
1: democratic.
0: Well, because prior to that, they're a constitutional monarchy, right? True, okay. So the Bayonet Constitution, established, this is the cover that they used when they passed it. was them. like
1: the, It was like, they were like, it's FUBU. Uh. Well, they were like,
0: we're going to have a democratic republic in voting. By the way, voting is limited only to people who are landowners or who make the equivalent of like $100,000 or more per year. So if they basically excluded all the native Hawaiians from voting. um and kept it for all the businessmen but arguably it was more democratic than just having a monarchy where no one gets to vote on anything
1: yeah but lily ukulani does not like this she's like i want my crown i want my people and the american and european businessmen they're like oh this girl is going to be trouble so they they started this committee of safety <laughs> Do you think it was a Committee of Safety? Yeah, the
0: naming of everything is like, because before, prior to Committee of, of Safety or for Safety, they were the Hawaiian League.
1: Kind of like the Coalition of the Willing, mm-hmm. right? So they start this Committee of Safety and it's basically to overthrow Queen Liliuokalani. So on January 16th in 1893, there's like sailors and Marines. They They get on board the ship and they go to Honolulu Harbor. And they're like, we're going to be neutral. We're not going to like do anything sketchy. Um,
0: well, they were already anchored in the harbor,
1: which is like, yeah, I'm, it, I'm like, come on, you guys so, are so going to do something so John sketchy.
0: Stevens was like a min- a minister who was also like the main American representative on the island. And he was very in favor of annexation. And a lot of business owners by this point were also arguing for annexation. They wanted the u s to take over sovereignty of the islands,
1: which would mean that. You can make a lot of money off of them, but the people of the
0: islands don't get the same rights. They, they at- don't get to become American citizens, but and the main, supposedly a big... Uh,
1: none, of the, none of the glory, all, yeah. all of the guts, basically.
0: And a big motivation was that the McKinley Tariff Act was passed in like 1890s, uh, which made it very expensive to import sugar and pineapples from the Hawaiian Islands. But if you become a territory, you don't have to pay the tariffs. So it was really just for a good discount on the, on the exports. Uh, they wanted to, they wanted annexation.
1: Lily Ugalani, she like, tries to resist. Um, She's, she really doesn't want her people to be like hurt though. So she, she says, I will step down for a moment. And she thinks it's going to be temporary because again, she's like, I'm backed by all my people, you know, we're going to overthrow, we're going to overthrow uh, this constitution and like, go back to a monarchy, but that does not happen. She's imprisoned in her own palace, Ilani so, Palace.
0: Yeah, and there's this whole kind of farce that goes on where the the like leaders of the uh, Committee for Safety walk up on the steps of the palace and read aloud a prox- proclamation saying that they've overthrown Liliu Kalani and she's been deposed. And John Stevens, the like American representative and minister, recognizes it on behalf of America. He has like no authority to do this. The Department of State's not behind it. But he says like, okay, yes, you're now the rulers of Hawaii.
1: And she is then released, but then forbidden to leave the island of Oahu. So she's basically like a POW.
0: (laughs) So while this was happening, uh, Grover Cleveland is the president of America and he gets word of it. And so he, he establishes, he does like an investigation or whatever, and he's like, oh, this really is shady. Um, and so he tried to kind of negotiate a settlement with Liliuokalani, and he was like, okay, well, if, if you just, we'll reestablish you as the ruler of the Hawaiian Islands um, and reestablish a monarchy, but you can't kill any of the people who just overthrew you or imprison them, you have to give them amnesty. And this is a pivotal moment because Lily Ukulani chose the path of vengeance. <laughs> and she was like, no, they've totally, you know, we don't have Kapu anymore, but they've totally violated, like, sovereignty, and they overthrew the kingdom. I'm going to kill these people. They're going to be beheaded. Uh, so Grover Cleveland's like, oh, yeah, can't really, can't really back that. Um, they
1: weren't going to. They would have found a reason to anyway. Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's also wild that she's – it's it's wild that she is a person of color that is in at this like time period th- that's going to yeah, Washington. Woman. She's going to the she's a woman POC who's like going to the White House. You know, in in this time, it's it's pretty dope. Like she's like, give me back my crown.
0: Yeah. So she does. She petitions, and then but meanwhile, uh, Grover Cleveland's term ends. McKinley becomes president. Um, he's much more like nationalist. He kicks it over to Congress and, uh, Congress is like, yeah, we see nothing wrong here. It seems okay. Um, and so nothing really gets done. And so, yeah, Liliu Kulani is deposed and the Committee for Safety, uh, takes charge. And the new president is... David?
1: <laughs> David Kalakua. No, no, that's the Hawaiian oh.
0: king who the new- takes over from Liliu Kulani.
1: Oh yeah, the it, Dole, the it's new Sanford Dole. Sanford Dole. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Sanford Dole, whose brother James Dole later starts the Dole Pineapple Company.
1: Yep. Sanford Dole, real real scumbag.
0: Yeah, so Sanford Dole is the chief representative or whatever, uh they agitate for annexation. Um and it takes just like a f- a few years, right? And then America does annex Hawaii. And then sev- they, d- they don't want to convert—so they annex it, it's under American control, but they don't convert it into a territory until a couple years later. Uh, and that was motivated by the Spanish-American War breaking out, and the U.S. decided that they wanted more kind of overseas territories with which to, like, park their navy. But that all goes down kind of in the 1890s. But Hawaii didn't become a state until 1959.
1: Why did that happen?
0: So you kind of said it earlier, right? If you're a territory, you get all the, benefit, all the tax benefits— but you don't have to give sovereignty or, like, make citizens of all these, like, Hawaiians. Right. So at the time this, that they become a territory, I think the island was about, it's like about a third people of Hawaiian uh, or Polynesian descent. It's about a third Japanese. Uh, and then it's about a third, you know, white people who have come here at various times to set up ranches or coffee or fruit plantations. Um, and so if they become a state, suddenly, like, those two-thirds of people are going to get the right to vote and they'll probably take over like, the state government. So instead, they keep kind of putting off statehood. But um, why,
1: did it, why did it happen then? In
0: 1959?
1: Yeah, why did the U.S. Like, change their mind?
0: So it took a very long... Oh, one other thing that happened too, by the way, is the, the native Hawaiians who did have some power, uh, they themselves supposedly were discriminating against the Japanese and didn't want to have, have to share equal rights with the Japanese laborers. Uh, there were Portuguese laborers. That's for the ukulele. Came from it's actually Portuguese, um, but yeah, there's lots of there's discrimination all around.
1: Well why? Okay, but why? But, why has it finally
0: become a state? Because after World War II, uh, Americans had become become comfortable enough with Hawaiian culture that it really felt like you part mean of they America. loved
1: tiki culture and they were like, we want that.
0: And surfing had become very popular, um, but yeah, it's it's because uh, right, particularly Pearl Harbor happened, but then throughout. World War II, the Hawaiians demonstrated like, you know, they signed up. They were, they like fought with America. Um, they, they helped out and sacrificed a lot. Uh, and so they were then considered basically as Americans. They had demonstrated their loyalty.
1: Someone said that they love tiki culture. Yeah. Uh, oh,
0: Maybe we'll talk about- Well, we're gonna talk about it before. now. Let's
1: talk about the, you, you did the history of tiki culture or the history of surfing. I mean,
0: yeah, we are really just right. The history of tiki culture, what we call tiki culture, is really just Polynesian, right? Like appropriation, appropriation, more or less, right? It's like a, you know Polynesian tattoo designs and making stuff out of like you know, uh, I guess it includes like lays, it includes like. The so carved, let me tell you about the lay statues.
1: Let me tell you about the lay because the, the lay is, it is a traditional. Thing that is still used it's the
0: like a hawaiian ceremonial garment sort of object i guess it's a it's a flower necklace
1: yeah well it can be flowers or also fronds like palm fronds like and or, or uh, woven into a necklace or a head a headpiece and a lot of times when people would arrive to hawaii by boat they would be greeted by a lay being placed on their their neck or like on their head nice yeah, so that's like the lay, com- the lay common, and it's also, it's not proper etiquette to like ever refuse a lay. So if you're allergic to flowers, you just have to be like, okay, <laughs> give it to your spouse or your friend, who's with you. There's also May first is also called Lay Day, as opposed like May first is Lay Day instead of May it's Day. It's Lay Day and May Day. You know the, but it's it's kind of similar like across all cultures it's like a celebration of like flowers and spring mm-hmm. and um, every island has its own designated lay which with which represents a harmonious marriage of texture and color so hawaii has the lua oahu has the lima maui has the lokalani Kauai has the mokohana malokai Mal- am i saying that right Molokai. Molokai, the island, yeah. has the kukui. Lana'i. Lana'i.
0: Lana-i. Has, Lana-i. The kino- Ni hao. Ni hao
1: has the kinoa. Nihau. Nihau has the pupu. The pupu platter of lays. And Kahalawi has the hina hina. So those are like the different lays that are signature for each island. There's one other. that's kind of like inappropriate you shouldn't give a closed or tied lay to a pregnant woman so it's bad luck for an unborn child so they have open-ended ones kind of like a a, a a crown or a headband yeah a a scarf that you would give to a pregnant woman but it's still um your alex your mom gives us them when we arrive from the airport yeah and they're yeah they're really pretty you can get them at the supermarkets here like just in the in the produce section they have like lays in little oyster containers. So it's it's I think it's a nice tradition and it's not you know, it kind of still is what it is. Like giving someone a lay is still like a nice thing and it's not appropriation to do that. I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's a nice like gift. Um yeah, it's just a gift that is nice that you can yeah. still do.
0: Well since you're talking about flowers, it reminded me of the pineapple right because we talked about the oh yeah not even from hawaii not even native to hawaii it's from south america uh hawaii just i mean absolutely everything grows here but that's why pineapple was so popular to grow in hawaii um probably the same with sugar i'm I'm sure i'm sure sugar also isn't native to hawaii it was you know imported from brazil
1: but the uh the pineapple uh people were very obsessed with it. Europeans were obsessed with it. They were like, oh, it's like it looks like a little man with like a crown. They, they were paying like through the wazoo for them, and they couldn't grow them in Virginia. They tried to grow them in Virginia. Did not work. You tried to grow them in a lot of different places, but you need a lot of land. You need the right conditions, and eventually they were like, oh, why don't we try growing them in Hawaii?
0: It's the quintessential New World fruit. Right, so Columbus yeah. actually was the first European to receive a pineapple. So on his very first trip, he got one. Um, Lucky I, dude. I guess as a gift from a, a king. And That's like where a pineapple Caribbean pizza, island.
1: there was like the Italians and the pineapples. There you go. There you go. But yeah, uh, Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian, or pineapples are the fruit of, the official like, fruit of Hawaii, but it's... Not native. Yeah, not native.
0: The official bird? I actually Oh the uh the nene. It's the nene. In the official dance. Which no. <laughs> is sort of like a fancy turkey chicken.
1: We've seen them. They're really they're really majestic and cool.
0: Yeah. They got yeah, big tail feathers.
1: Yes. All right, shall we talk about the hula, which kind of I feel like goes with the
0: Yeah, we can talk about both I guess hula and luau's go yeah. together because I mean, the, there's hula the dancing is, at the luau.
1: There's not much to explain. It's it's a feast with family. Um it's big, you know
0: now done at hotels for tourists. Exactly. But it is a, a cultural event that has, uh, you know, a lot of his historical significance and like a community gathering thing. Like the family cookout. Thing. And there's specific food, there's specific wood that you use to like roast the pig at the luau. Um,
1: women can eat that pig now,
0: yay. Women can eat the pig.
1: <laughs> so hula, this, it's more like, okay, it's like the way that Middle Eastern dancing is turned into like belly dancing. It's, it's the sexualization of hula and like the dashboard hula girls. That's kind of like the icky part of it. Hula is a, it's a cultural dance. It also played, it had an important significance when the Hawaiian language was banned because it was the only way to like communicate and pass these like ancestral stories down.
0: So the chanting is a really big part of hula. So yes. it's not just the dance. It's the whole performance, which includes somebody chanting. And they're generally, they're going to be telling a story in you know in hawaiian exactly there's two forms of hula there's hula ka-
1: kaiko which is referred to as the traditional hula and it's in praise of like chiefs and goddesses and gods and it has a lot of like rhythm it's kind of like a harvesty like rhythmic kind of like ba- a Bhangra, like a rhythmic tribal dance okay. and then there's a the second form of hula That's kind of like the more contemporary one, and it's called the hula, the hula oana, which combines it's the traditional form of hula with Western influences, like more singing and kind of Christian morality tales and the ukulele steel guitars are in there. Um, There's also like hula competitions, but it's that's the new that's the new hula.
0: Yeah, the hula competition is, like, and it's like art, art competitions, right? It's like, this is an expressive, like, thing. It's funny to then, like, be like, let's judge it and come up with a numeric rating. Yeah, we're
1: trying to get it into the Olympics. <laughs> okay. 2043, that's the goal. Uh,
0: so I'll tell you about another uh, Hawaiian cultural and culturally significant activity. Have you heard of surfing? What? You yeah. don't say. So surfing has been around it's like considered to have originated in Hawaii but they they think really is as, as long as humans have been like swimming around the ocean they've been they figured out you can float on a board um so it dates to like the first polynesians arriving in Hawaii were were surfing um so uh apparently in Ho- they think in Hawaii they really originated the idea of not just bodyboarding but standing up and surfing upright um the ancient hawaiians considered it more of an art than anything else. So they referred to it as Nalu, which translates in English as wave sliding. So- uh,
1: Slide into my wave.
0: Before you went into the ocean, you would pray to the gods for protection and strength. You would like uh, talk to the kahuna. Kahuna is a term for priest. So the kahuna would help you in like saying your surfing prayer. They would also bless your board. They would help you carve the board. Uh, So there's three types of trees that they used. The koa, the ulu and the willy-willy. I'm serious. <laughs> this is hilarious. did they have, theriness. like, a really
1: big... Lo- they mm-hmm. had an extra long board, like, longer than any long board?
0: So there's three kinds of boards. Um, there's the olo, the kiko-o, and the Alaya. So the olo is thick in the middle thinner towards the edges. The kiko is, like, the really long board. The k- sorry, the kiko-o is 18... 12 to 18 feet long. Holy... So it's like super longboard. I think the longest longboards you buy these days are maybe like, you know, 12 to 14 feet. So it requires a lot of skill. Their boards didn't have fins. So you had to actually dip your foot or arm into the water to steer. You couldn't just lean on the board. Uh, So yeah, it took a lot of work to surf. Um, So then how did it become popularized? Oh, and by the way, the most skilled surfers were the upper class, as you would guess. It's the chiefs and the warriors who were like doing this, like because it's got religious connotations as well. So the common people would also surf, but they weren't like champion surfers. Wasn't Uh, it
1: like athletes basically?
0: Yeah, kind of. And so the way it spread to the mainland is in uh 1885, there were three teenage Hawaiian princes. So as you talked about earlier, the a lot of the Hawaiian royalty and chiefs would go to missionary schools or like English-speaking schools. Um,
1: and surfing school. So there were these three?
0: These three guys weren't at a surfing school. They were in San Mateo, California, uh, and they were v- going to St. Matthew's Hall. was their boarding school. Uh, they were hanging out in Santa Cruz. And so then these three guys, uh, David Kawainoka, Edward Kali-Ehonui, Ejon- and Jonah Puhi'o Kalayana Elei, surfed the mouth of the San Lorenzo River. Uh, it caught on. And then uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, various British people visiting the islands like picked it up at the same time. Um, so skipping ahead, when Waikiki became a tourist des- destination in like the early 1900s, it caught on. Um, apparently, Mark Twain tw- tried surfing in 1866. Didn't he try? He sucked hey. at it. Uh, Jack what didn't he suck at? Hey, Jack London tried it, uh, and pub- wrote an essay called "A Royal Sport" uh, in 1907, which popularized a lot of it.
1: But Then there are all these like movies and stuff in the 50s, right?
0: Yeah, so the whole uh, I guess it was post World War II, because a lot of the the like U.S. like the Pacific Fleet sailors had all like gone through Hawaii. They all like would kind of ship out of Pearl Harbor into the Pacific, or they were in all these. Pa- like Polynesian islands as well. Uh, so they picked up, that's where tiki culture came from. Those guys returning back home and bringing with them Aloha shirts and the little carved wooden statues they'd maybe picked up as souvenirs, uh, strong rum drinks that they maybe were drinking while they were overseas and surfing. Uh, and so then the 1950s are all these like, yeah, the surf madness. surf exploitation. You could call it reef madness because they loved ah. they loved surfing so much. Uh, I'll say a couple like famous surfers, uh, one of the most famous um, in the 50s during this period uh, was Greg Knoll. So he was, uh, or is it 1957, he was the first guy to surf Waimea Bay. This is in Oahu, there's a Waimea. There's apparently a Waimea on every island. Um, so he surfed these 25 to 30 foot waves. So it was, this was thought to be impossible even by the local Hawaiians. So he was the first ever big wave surfer, Greg Knoll. Um, Surfing's
1: in the Olympics this past year, first mm-hmm. time. Woohoo!
0: Uh, Congrats. <laughs> George Freeth is the father of modern surfing, so he sadly died at 35. He's also the father of like ocean lifeguarding. So he was like the first lifeguard for the beach.
1: Hawaii Five-0. Yeah,
0: so that was 1919. He actually died from. Damn. He died from influenza.
1: I <laughs> thought you were gonna say he died. He died doing what he loved.
0: No. No, he died from the coronavirus of its time. Uh, the Spanish flu, although as we've talked about in other episodes, not from Spain.
1: Okay, so tell me about the Aloha shirt. That's okay. our right, because you're wearing one. Let's let's wrap it all up with a
0: we'll wrap it all cozy up cozy
1: Aloha shirt. Cozy so al- originally, the Aloha shirts were like, again, telling the stories of the people of the islands. They had told like these these tales of. Like the prints and stuff on them were telling like the stories of the really? artists and yeah, oh I did and, and the cloth you know it it had different uh, like depending on where you were from you were able to get different kinds of cloth and what you would put on it was it was like your story it was like your quilt sort of uh,
0: no way yeah. I didn't know that yeah
1: yeah I I I learned this on the airplane they had a, a video about <laughs> it okay. on on Air Hawaii
0: nice yeah what i what I read, my findings were just that it like kind of in the nineteen twenties it started being mass produced,
1: right, so I'm talking about before it was mass produced, you'd have like the Aloha shirt of like your family or whatever,
0: oh no way, yeah, oh, okay, so I thought it was yeah, what I read is that uh in the nineteen thirties this honolulu based dry goods store Japanese owned called Musashia, the shirt maker, <laughs> um great name, yeah. Uh, started making shirts out of colorful Japanese prints. But maybe that was the first mass production of it. The Hawaiians, I guess, had their own cool painted shirts prior to that. Anyway, the, the reason it caught on and later led to Casual Friday is that in 1946, so just after World War II, the Honolulu Chamber of Commerce funded a study. It's funny they did a study. They funded a study of Aloha shirts uh, to see if they would be good as comfortable business clothing to be worn during the hot Hawaiian summer, the Hawaiian Chamber of Commerce passed a resolution allowing their employees to wear uh, Hawaiian shirts from June to October.
1: It's like the don't wear white after Labor Day. Oh. Don't wear white shirts. or the, Don't wear Aloha shirts after Labor Day.
0: Yeah, so from June to October. And then in 1947, they established the Aloha Week, which is a, like a cultural festival. It's a
1: week-long casual Friday.
0: Yeah, now it's a month long. In 1991, it was extended to... Aloha Festivals, and it's a month-long kind of Hawaiian cultural festival, I think, in June uh, in Hawaii. So probably a good time to visit. Um, so yeah, ho- Aloha Week spread, but uh, around the same time as, as Aloha Week catching on in 1962, uh, the Hawaiian Fashion Guild. Uh, this is great. They, they ran what they called Operation Liberation. And they distributed two aloha shirts to every member of the Hawaii House of Representatives with a and the T-shirt Hawaii cannon.
1: They they shot it out the volcano, <laughs> shot it
0: through their office window. They shot it out
1: the <laughs> volcano. They're like through the lava tubes.
0: Yeah. Um, so they they got them with their their high pressure <laughs> liberation mission, uh, got them to declare Fridays as Aloha Fridays, and so then it was encouraged that you could just wear you could wear your aloha shirt uh, every Friday. I love it. And so, yeah, that kind of caught on um, through the 60s and 70s and eventually spread to the mainland in the 1990s with the creation of Casual Friday.
1: And Levi's, thank you.
0: And Levi's took advantage of the kind of They're like, what would go great with
1: our khakis, hmm.
0: So they ran their own Operation Liberation and sent pamphlets to, I think, 25,000 businesses with a guide to Casual Friday fashion The cornerstone of which is the Dockers khaki.
1: And the Aloha
0: shirt. I don't even think Aloha shirt is, they just push Dockers real hard, which is why the uniform of Silicon Valley and most businesses now is khaki pants. I
1: thought they were like, this is what will go really good with the khakis and not make you look like a weird pedophile.
0: But Casual Friday, I don't think really in the mainland, I mean, maybe in California, but you still don't see too many uh, Hawaiian shirts. On casual Friday. I didn't say the pamphlet worked just okay. you know they were
1: suggesting
0: <laughs> oh, all right.
1: and now you can if you come to Hawaii you can fi- go to the vintage stores and you can find some like really cool vintage Aloha shirts or you can like get them locally you can also look on Etsy because there's some cool like female owned Aloha companies that they like there's they uh, combine botany and like nature preservation with patterns on the shirts it's pretty cool
0: yeah so now in hawaii because uh, now that business casual is every day of the week on the mainland in hawaii you can wear an aloha shirt any day and it's weird to wear a suit to like a formal gathering it's kind of expected Gaush. that you're gonna wear a cool aloha shirt there are many the prints have evolved so there's now subtle prints so they, there's the reverse print where actually the inside of the shirt is bright and the outside not this this is regular print
1: like you just flip your shirt inside out
0: um, and then Hawaii also is responsible for the phrase TGIF.
1: Did I did that? not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, your
0: final Hawaii factoid, I think, is, uh, TGIF, the phrase comes from, uh, these musicians, Kimo Kahoano and Paul Nato in their 1982 song, It's Aloha Friday, No Work Till Monday. And so like in Hawaii like every Friday for probably decades they play that song it's Aloha Friday no work till Monday and they say TGIF
1: I love it Yeah That's amazing
0: There you go Um that covers I think all my Yeah my this factoids. was
1: I feel like this was very informative and fun and relaxed and the sun is set here in yes. Hawaii
0: The sun has set here on the Big Island so I guess we'll uh we'll sign off
1: We shall. So if if you've been with us for this long, then you obviously feel some kind of way and it's a good way. And you should leave us five stars. (laughs) We really appreciate it. We appreciate you for tuning in and catch us here every week. And a special thanks to our our fierce editor who takes no Aloha Fridays every day. Mm -hmm. Every day is a work day for him. Danny Phelps, thank you so much.
0: And with that, we say, because you can say it for both hello and goodbye, aloha.
1: Aloha, mahalo.